Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. Hi, everybody. This is Matt Taylor, TV editor of The Pop Break, and this is the third episode of And the Winner Still Is. I'm joined with the Holly Hunter to my Joan Cusack, Marissa Carpico. Say hi, Marissa. Hey, hello. I've just finished crying uh, for about 10 minutes, and I'm ready to do this. <laughs> Haven't we all? It's the mood of 2019. <laughs> uh, Marissa's obviously the film editor of ThePopBreak.com, but you already know that, hopefully. Um, and yeah, we're here to talk about 1987, which you would know if you got that joke about Joan Cusack and Holly Hunter. This is a really interesting year for film with a lot of really great Best Actress contenders and Best Picture contenders and a winner that no one (laughs) knows anything about anymore. A movie that does not exist anymore, basically. Um, And that is The Last Emperor, (laughs) which we will dive right into. What is The Last Emperor? (laughs) It is a... Two and a half hour film about the final emperor of China, directed by Bernardo Bertolucci. It won nine Oscars. That's like nearly Lord of the Rings level of um, Oscar wins. And for those who don't really know, just to put it in some context, the movie was a very big deal in the industry at the time because it was one of the first films to be um, filmed in China. Um, And... One of the first Hollywood productions, I guess you would say, filmed in China. And um, it was a very important, it, it documents this very important historical chapter. But I don't know, before we get into our um, our takes on it, I just think it's funny that this movie is not really that talked about anymore. And at the time, if you look at the box office, it really didn't make much of a splash either compared to some of the other films nominated. It grossed $43 million at the time, which, when adjusted for inflation, equates to only about $97 million, which is, I think I think it's fair to say, on the lower spectrum of Best Picture winners. What do you think about that? Yeah, probably. I mean, uh, for that time period, I think maybe now, if you looked at it from, from, like, 92 on, it would be very different. Like, I think the English patient actually didn't make a ton of money, which is some of the reason people are angry about it. But yeah, for the time, that's weird, especially in a year when like so many big hits were made. And and realistically, it probably wasn't made for that much less. Like it was or made for that much less. It probably was made for a lot more, wasn't it? They actually don't have the budget listed on a box of Mojo, but yeah, um, it it. I mean, it looks expensive <laughs> based on <laughs> based on what you see on the screen. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about our experiences with this movie. What. Um, what was your first time watching this movie like, Marissa? Um, I watched it uh, almost a year ago now, um, in January of last year, actually. Not not for any reason other than a friend of mine and I watch movies a lot, and he wanted to watch it for some reason. I think we were doing, like, historical epics or something that day. I don't quite remember, but we watched it, and it is... Um, it's the one of the few films... Like, I made a rule when we started this thing that I was like, okay, I'm going to watch everything I haven't seen in the last year. I'm going to rewatch. But this one, I was like... It's it's a little over a year, and I'm not going to do it again because it's too much time. Because it is, it, it's what it's three hours basically. 
So it's two and a half hours according to IMDb, but three and a half hours according to Box of Us Mojo. And to be honest, mm. I buy either one. <laughs> like, <laughs> it feels I, three and a half hours. I, 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 there probably are different cuts, and I, I swear to you, I watched the longest possible one. The only movie that feels more interminable to me, like that I never left it, do you know what I mean, mm. is um, Cleopatra, which truly you it, it made me almost hate film it was it's so long yeah i paused that movie multiple times while watching it and i probably oh. did with the last emperor too which i watched on netflix um oh, wow. for my first time so whatever version they have on netflix <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah i haven't watched it since and i mean it listen i the craft is there but um it's uh it's uh, it's boring but i'll, I'll well, before we go into that I'll, i guess i'll let you talk about your experience with it. No, yeah, I I basically do agree. It's a a very boring movie and I feel so bad just kind of shrugging it off as that like um, you know, there's clearly a lot of craftsmanship on the screen. They all very much care about the story they're telling, but like it's just it's dull. There's there's no energy to it and um my big thing is that so much of the movie has this sort of feeling of like exotification to it. And mm-hmm. because Bernardo Berlucci is obviously not Chinese and, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but, um, like you compare it to films about the same times in history, or even just like looking at historical photographs. And it's like, this movie feels so much like, like, I don't know. Like it, it's making this like a tourist attraction almost. And that's not, what the point of a historical epic should be. And mm-hmm. that just sort of takes you out of it. It's very clearly not meant to be seen as like a genuine historical artifact. It's meant to be seen as this like fun Hollywood version of the film, which makes a lot of sense in the 40s and 50s, I think. But in the 80s, you're kind of like, what? why is this still being made? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I I looked it up and it, it was... Um... It's estimated that it was about 23 million pounds, which I is a is more is really probably when you multiply it for the time, like 40, pretty close to what it made. So that's, that's kind of insane. <laughs> they broke even um, with that one. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say it's like I guess there was the some controversy about it at the time or not controversy, but just like release difficulties that maybe helped it not make a lot of money in that like the the studio sort of put it on the back burner because they fired their studio head, David, David, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, well, anyway, they fired their, their studio head right beforehand, uh, David Putnam. Um, and then like <laughs> punished him by not, like not putting his movies out there, but two of them were nominated for best picture anyway. So it's like, I don't know. I like, I think the appeal of it is like this look into China that I guess people had got, hadn't gotten before. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, I will say, uh, the, the cinematography, the score and the, um, the costuming and like production design are, are truly incredible. And like it mm-hmm. wins for score costumes and cinematography, cinematography. And it totally deserves that. The score but, is gorgeous for this movie. Oh, it's lush and beautiful. And like, but I will say the problem with it is that the performances are also great, but the storytelling is, is the thing that ultimately kills it because it's so episodic and like mm. rather than sort of create this like tension for the framing device, it just like saps all the energy out of it. I, I don't know if you felt the same way or, or, or if you even like can do think about that because I don't know the last time you watched it. But like, 
yeah, I don't know. It just, it just gets, it kills its own interest. And I was like so into it at the beginning and then just got so bored. And like, it does feel like epics of the past, the kind of like historical epics that always used to win Oscars and now sort of don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe, maybe this was just the end of that, the last, the last gasping breath of that, but I don't know. I, I still am surprised it won. Well, it's so interesting. I we'll talk about all these best picture winners eventually, but like the eighties were an interesting decade of best picture winners because you had this really weird mix of like domestic dramas, like ordinary people and um, terms of endearment and then really high class spectacle. And um, this one definitely is like high class spectacle, high class spectacle on paper, but I agree. I watched it when I was in college. I actually watched it in, I looked it up to confirm in 2014, because in 2014, I decided to watch all the Best Picture winners. So I watched it th- then. And yeah, it just this sort of... I remember watching it and just, like, not caring about pausing it to go do other things if something had to be taken care of. Because it's just the sort of film... It's so hard to get fully invested. It feels so detached. It feels yeah. so, like, look at this amazing thing around us that, like, we're not actually immersing ourselves in. And that's just is the difference i think mm-hmm. but no technically beautiful movie totally makes sense to um that it swept all those technical awards i just find it so funny that no one talks about this movie i genuinely think if you were to survey people like people would not recognize this title even if they yeah. were alive in the 80s well the only reason i knew it was because of its sort of infamy of, of win- winning and being like so long and very and but beautiful obviously but just like interminably long truly Mm. you know yeah it's a i don't know i mean in this nine minutes we've been recording we've talked about this movie more than i think (laughs) anyone has for the past decade (laughs) actually that's a lie it was re-released um at con i think they did like a 3d transfer i'm pretty sure oh my god why would any that's so that's such a mistake i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) out of all the movies you do 3d transfers for it's like that's the one we want like i don't know it's it's so strange the way people what movies get 3d transfers these days yeah and it's I, I, no, go 60 for. years of chinese history and like the sort of like bertolucci at some point i guess described it as like this 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 the story arc being like going from a dragon to a butterfly and that like this person is meant to be the emperor of china and then slowly becomes like loses power and loses power and loses power until he eventually is just like and apparently ended up as a gardener in the 60s which is wild um <laughs> like it just, I don't know. It's just so, it's so boring. I, I it, like, and there's so much interesting stuff in it. Like the, the performance, I'm not kidding. The performances are great. And there are like four actors basically playing the main role. And like Joan Chen is in it of, of Twin Peaks fame. Mm-hmm. And she's like glamorous and wonderful. But like, there's just, I don't know. The, the emotion is, you're right. So detached that you just can't really, I don't know, connect with it. it I, and it, and you should be able to. But uh, clearly people in 87 did, you know? Apparently. <laughs> the Academy definitely did. Um, are you a Bertolucci fan? Um, I, I, you know, I think there is lots of merit in um, Last Tango filmmaking-wise, but it is basically impossible at this point to get past what mm-hmm. they did, um, him, and, him and Brando did, to get those scenes, you know? It's, it's just so queasy. It's un- impossible to sort of like forget it and not that i would want to forget it but it's just so heinous the more you think about like 
they didn't tell her and uh, yeah i don't know for people who don't know what i'm talking about i guess i should explain what the hell i'm talking about um maria schneider is the woman in that film and there's like a rape scene and they really him and brando talked about it but then didn't tell her so that like the reaction would be real which i get in terms of like getting a performance out of your actress but it it upset her so much that she like basically quit acting which is not good that's just not good. And it's a um, very troubling scene in that in that movie. Like yeah. that movie's filled with troubling scenes, but <laughs> yeah. that's the only Bertolucci I've seen, I'm pretty sure. And wow. I watched it like around the same time as Last Emperor, and I am just being like, wow, I don't know. I don't I don't think this is for me. It's really <laughs> rough. And especially like post me too, because I think I watched it post me too, that one. Um and I was like, oh boy, I don't I don't think we can I don't think I don't think so. Thank you very much, but I don't think so. I have always wanted to watch The Dreamers because I hear that's great. Um, and it's like Ava Green's breakout role, but it's mm-hmm. like it's a- allegedly quite filthy. So, Yeah. I- <laughs> Just looking at the poster makes me feel dirty. <laughs> yeah. And like it's impossible to buy anywhere. Like, trust me, I've tried. <laughs> like you have to buy the DVD. But it was like last time I checked, it was like 50 bucks. I'm like, all right. You know what? I- there are other ways. Not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> There's really other ways. I love Ava Green, but not so much. Uh, although I guess it's now, now it's, I'm, I'm just looking at it again. It's, it's available. So maybe I'll eventually buy it. One day. So let's never talk about The Last Emperor again, because it is realistically the least important movie in this Oscar year. <laughs> and let's go through the other four films nominated for Best Picture. And I'm going to cross out the next least interesting one i don't think i said that correctly but whatever the other one we really don't care about let's talk yep. about hope and glory yeah let's do it i've been <laughs> calling did, pride by the way, and people we did not talk about that beforehand we we both knew what, what we it both was, knew what we want um i've been calling it pride and glory for uh, quite a bit because i'm confusing it apparently with an ed norton cop film which i've never seen but you know hope and glory this is a film Directed by, hold on, IMDb is loading. John, um, John Borman, and it is a semi-autobiographical film about his experiences during World War II, being a child in World War II. And what are your thoughts on this, Marissa? Hated it, boy, did I hate it. Um, I, I was like, I was kind of ready for something a little chill, and like, I'm, I don't know what's going on with me lately, but I'm really into like. Um, narratives about uh the world wars from an english perspective like very specific kink right now i don't really know what's going on um (laughs) why not (laughs) (laughs) i was fully ready for it and then i it was so fucking slight for so much of it because like at the beginning it's about this like uh these kids are um this little boy and his sister are like trying to deal with the war and their dad goes away for the war. Um, not really. He sort of is like working in an office, not that far away. He's not like on the front lines in world war two. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mom is trying to send them off to Australia to get them out of realistically the blitz that is coming. They don't even know that's coming, but it's a good idea. <laughs> and the kids throw a fucking tantrum. So, well, the boy does, let's be very specific here. Um, and then he, they end up staying because the boy throws a tantrum and like, then War becomes this playground for little boys, which is it like it just got it just became eventually like soft patriarchy and misogyny, the movie. And I could not handle it. I was I hated it a whole lot. And it's like, again, two and a half hours long or whatever. Or it felt it felt like my whole life went by. 
Um, I actually think it's I think it's under two hours, but it do, I can understand if it's yeah it's an hour fifty three, but I can understand that it does feel quite long. <laughs> oh my god! If I truly felt like I was watching it forever, I I think I ate like four dinners during it. It was so <laughs> long. I was so like I just need things to do because I hated it so much, which is annoying because it's really made very well. Because like you know John Borman's no hack, but like it it annoyed the shit out of me. And then it, like, halfway through, it turns into this, like, pastoral comedy. I didn't understand what the hell was going on. Like, I'm sure it was very meaningful to him and his family. But, like, to me, it was just truly the worst. I hated it a lot. No, yeah. It's it's funny you mentioned it. Like, it must be important to him. Because you can definitely see, like, oh, like, I understand that these childhood memories probably did happen to him like these individual moments like him and his sister bonding him and his friends bonding but like no children has ever acted this way in real life like they have so many scenes of like children playing and like various first experience that children go through like they have like a very awkward and like sexist scene of like them seeing a woman naked for the first time. It's not, they just like look down a girl's pants for what they, they, did they trade her something for it? I think so. I, like, I want to say like jewelry or something like that. Like, oh, it, yeah. I think it's something like that. Yeah. Which but, is boy, what a fucking metaphor. Yeah. But like, it's funny because I'm like, this is not how that sort of situation has ever played out once no. with children. I'm pretty sure. Like <laughs> this has not happened. And like, there's that one really cringy scene where the main boy and his younger sister mm-hmm. spy on their older sister having sex. Yeah. And, like, they have, like, these precocious ways of, like, not knowing what sex is, but, like, I wonder what they're doing. And it's, like, I'm, like, this boy is, like, 11. Like, he knows what's happening. Like, I'm, like, this, it's so silly to me. Like, the, like, the dialogue between them, because then, the, like, the little girl makes some cutesy line about something. And I'm, like, God, children aren't this cute in real life. Like, it's, like, this is such, like, a sitcom way of presenting children. Well, then and, it becomes, and then it becomes so even worse in its second half when they move to the country. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, it becomes, like, there's, like, this weird subplot about the teenage daughter who has like this suitor um who is like stalking her basically and like the movie pre- presents him as like how could she not want to be with him but it's kind of like eh, like let her not be with him like i don't know <laughs> even though he was very dreamy and i was kind of like like i don't know i'll, I'll date him that <laughs> canadian boy could get it for sure for sure <laughs> but um no like it's and also the teenage daughter again like to keep with this theme acts like no teenager ever has like she's out there like tap dancing during the bombings <laughs> and i'm like okay i know teenagers are rebellious but like it's bombings <laughs> like, i thought it was gonna be like some sort of weird never look away thing oh wait you haven't seen it um never look away where like there's a girl at the beginning who is like teenager and like very influential to this boy and she ends up being fucking nuts i thought that's what we were where we were going and it's like <laughs> no she's just like precocious or some weird shit and i was like okay what is happening here like British people are not fucking weird. Like, they're weird, but they're not that kind of weird. Do you know what I mean? They're not, like, dancing during bombings. Like, no. weird. <laughs> or the scene where they, like, um, find the one girl whose parents died, and they're all so mean to her. And I'm what like, Jesus. Like, I'm like, kids have empathy when they're 10. Like, it's like, my God, I don't know. And the funny thing is, I actually did like the movie. I was, I was never bored watching it. When I put it on, I remember thinking, like, this is going to be hard to stay awake during. And I actually was like, oh, like, I was entertained throughout. But it's definitely one of those movies that, like, 
I think we're better off leaving in the past. Like we like they don't quite make movies like it anymore, and we don't need movies. Thank like God. That. Yeah, like we 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 can be fine. <laughs> and again, we'll get to it. But eighty seven is a year for movies, and it's yeah. silly to me that like this movie was one of the five that like, gets nominated for best picture. It's crazy. Yeah. I do think it's like what well, I was saying about that earlier with the the Last Emperor. Like there was that Columbia studio head who was like unceremoniously fired. David Putnam and he he championed this film and he championed The Last Emperor. I would not and everybody in the industry was like upset about it because it was like a business deal more than it was like a studio situation. So like I bet you it was some sort of industry wide like fuck you show of support for their like their like boy you know. But, <laughs> That's interesting. Do you know what I mean? But it I, it seems. Like it's it's the kind of thing that seems possible, just like based on uh, like reading inside Oscar and all that. But like that kind of shit happens. I mean, like look at fucking Argo winning for Christ's sake. Like mm-hmm. I love Ben, but like it's absurd. Um, I don't but, like, love Ben, but it's still absurd. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a pro- Ben is a problematic fave. I feel very bad about having sex with him, but I would also steal Jennifer Garner's phone number out of his phone. That's the whole point. <laughs> um, <laughs> call me up, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a plant. Uh but yeah, no, I'm serious. Like I wonder if it's really about that kind of thing rather than and I again, maybe it is that like the last breath of the dying breath of, of this like historical epic thing in Hollywood because we don't really see them in the same way anymore in Best Picture, like these four hour long nightmares of like past bullshit, you know. Mm-hmm. Like that, there are two of them this year, and we don't really see them as much anymore. Like we see them, but they're like Lord of the Rings or fantasies. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was funny. Um, do you follow Sean Baker on Letterboxd by any chance? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, totally. He like it's funny because he's obviously a, a major director. For those who don't know, he did the Florida Project and mm-hmm. Tangerine, which you should all go watch. But um, he's on Letterboxd, and he's so candid about other people's films in a way that if I actually worked in the industry, I wouldn't be just because like you have to work with people. (laughs) I have, I have friends who won't even write, like put star ratings on Letterboxd because they're in the industry. He goes in, it's shocking. Yeah. And he really tore into this one and seemed like very offended that people said it was similar to the Florida (laughs) projects, which (laughs) I guess on paper, yeah, it's about kids and like the juxtaposition of like, innocent childhood stuff innocent in air quotes <laughs> and um yeah. and like the harsh realities of the world but i agree with his offense because it's like this movie does not in any way explore the dark realities of that world and no. it does not feel like genuine children having fun once in the movie i it's a it's a movie that i did find quite entertaining in the moment but i mean it's it's very very dated in a way that none of these other movies are <laughs> yeah yeah and most it, 80s it movies does... aren't it does feel like it's not even from the seventies. It feels like it's from the or the <laughs> I said the seventies from the eighty seven. It feels like it's from the seventies or earlier, honestly. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I mean, again, this is a movie that I think no one has talked about in like maybe fifteen years. But um, I remember I was surprised when it was even on Amazon Prime because I remember in like the pre in previous years wanting to watch it. Because it was always the one Best Picture nominee from this year that I hadn't seen. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't available for a, quite a while on any streaming platform, even to buy. Yeah. And so I, I I feel like people do not care about this movie. Yeah, rightfully way. so, it's been lost to history. I mean, there's one scene in this movie. I don't even want to, like, 
get in detail about where I I sat at the screen and was like, oh my god, like it's like where these two women are talking about like sexual violence in a way that is like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like vaguely, I was so done with it by then that I was like, I'm pretty sure I was like on the phone. Do you know what I mean? I was was making business calls. I was like, I'm 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 done with this. (laughs) Yeah. So let's be done with, with hope and glory. It's a movie that, you know, I think it's a passable two hours, but there's so many other passable two hours. Like why watch that one? Unless you're insane like us and want to be completists. (laughs) So now we're off to the fun ones. And, um, let's start with, Fatal Attraction. All right. All right. One of the three movies that was nominated for Best Picture and also Best Actress. And we got to talk about the actresses with this one. I know we were going to save the categories for later like we usually do. But, I mean, we got to talk about these actresses. This is yeah. our; These are our girls. Um, Fatal Attraction is obviously super famous. It is, like, it was, it made, like, Avengers money <laughs> back in 87. And um, for those who don't know, though, directed by Adrian Lin, Stars line. Michael- it's line. Line. Oh, okay. There we go. Um, Adrian Line, um, and he. It, it stars Michael Douglas as a man who has a one night stand or like a weekend long stand. I don't know what you call this. Yeah, <laughs> they call it a one night stand and all the things. It's like no, they spend a whole like three days together, Thank which you is much. crucial. I think, which is yes. really crucial to the plot. And um, he spends a, he has, spends a weekend with Glenn Close, and like a wild fling, and then. She ends up being quote unquote crazy and stalking him, stalking him and his family. And um, there's so much you can unpack with this movie. I have a lot of thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts, Marissa. What do you think of Fatal Attraction? So complex. Um, I saw it for the first time, knowing all that history and like the way people had spoke with like feminists had spoken out about it at the time. And there was a huge backlash and how popular it was and like knowing it was a bad girl movie. And I was like pretty embedded in bad girl movies by the time I'd seen it. I um, love your bad girls canon. On Letterboxd. Thank you. That is an incredible thing to have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I joke about it all the time. It seems appropriate to make it. And this is not on it. Everyone will notice if they go look at that. Um, because it kind of doesn't deserve to be – because the the, re, the thing I like about a bad girl is when the bad girl wins or when the bad girl – like we get to have fun with the bad girl. This is all about the, how she is a manifestation of like like punishment for a man cheating and like probably maybe some sort of AIDS metaphor, like the embodiment. Ooh, I thought like, of that. Wow. It's got to be, though, because it's 87. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that was intentional, but it's impossible f- for me not to read that in. It's on the it. mindset. Yeah, it, it has to be in there. Um, and, like, the original ending, they tested it with audience with uh, audiences, and we're just going to spoil it because who cares? But it's like, not even the ending. So. Yeah, it's not even really the ending, so what, who gives a shit? Um, but the original ending is she she – basically frames him for murdering her but she really commits suicide so he gets punished and like for years i thought maybe that would make it better if it was in that original cut and then i rewatched it for this project and i was like nope this is so bad this is (laughs) such a disaster because it it hates her so much and she immediately turns crazy for no reason like Mm -hmm. she's a normal person normal and sexy uh, during the weekend and then the second he doesn't return a call she is insane she goes completely insane and like there's something to play with there of like women who 
are clearly disturbed, like, you know, have something mental going on. Like if you could explore it as depression, that would be interesting. Or there's an undercurrent there of like her being like, listen, you can't just discard me. I'm a, I'm a person. You can't just have fun whenever you want. There is a critique there that it's really interesting that I really connected to when Mm -hmm. I first saw it, but it, it got so subsumed in everything else this time that I just couldn't, I couldn't go with it. And it, it's, it's funny. Like this is probably Adrian Lyons most famous film, but and the reason, only reason I corrected you is because he, I'm like a fucking Adrian Lyons stand. I've seen almost all of his movies except for Foxes, which is impossible to get, and then um, Indecent Proposal, which is actually pretty famous as well. But I've seen like every one of his movies, and I, he's one of my favorite directors, straight up, like of all time. And this is such a disaster. Like all of his movies are so much better. Most of them are about like empo- pretty empowering to women. So it's bizarre that this one is the bad one, honestly. Yeah, my first experience with this movie was years ago, maybe like middle school. I don't even know. Like, Oh, dear. <laughs> my parents really liked it. They saw it on a date. So like, um, like it was like a big movie in my house that they, they always talked about. And I watched it for the first time in middle school with my parents, which was a disaster and I hated it. But um, yeah. um, I loved the movie in middle school in this way of like, oh, like, what a good thriller, and Glenn Close is amazing in it. And then I didn't think about it, but the reputation of this film is so positive, even to this day, like, in mainstream yeah. film culture. And mm-hmm. um, I think at this point, the common can... Actually, I don't know. We'll get to that. But, um, yeah. like, Glenn Close's performance, we'll just say, is remembered very fondly. Especially mm-hmm. now that she still hasn't won one. <laughs> um, yeah. Including this year. But, um, so... Watching it for the first time a week or two ago to get ready for this, I was shocked at, A, how just I did not care for it on any level. I did not find it really entertaining um, mm-hmm. a second time around. Maybe because I knew all the big scenes, but I was bored. Yeah. And also, yeah, like, this movie is very troubling on many levels. I mean, I did some reading on IMDb. And again, I don't know how accurate this is because IMDb has some trivia facts where you see it and you're like, I don't know if that's right. <laughs> but like, according to IMDb, every actress in the world auditioned for this part. <laughs> but um, yeah. Oh, like, uh, they offered it to Deborah Winger and she turned it down because we're going to talk about why yeah. later. <laughs> but yeah, she like that's wild like i i when i read that i basically passed out and, and then came back alive like 10 minutes later i was like what what <laughs> deborah um, you here deborah um but no so like according to imdb glenn close did like intense research and met with all of these psychiatrists to like yep. figure out what sort of problems her character is having and like create a human being in this film and the movie is not even remotely interested in depicting her as a human being and you can see in her performance the human that she's portraying and the movie is just so much like oh like no she's not a human she's a pure evil psychopath and michael douglas you know like tisk tisk for cheating on your wife but like what are you gonna do boys are boys and everything and right right it's so troubling and even like i can't even approach it in this way of like Oh, like, it's a problematic, fun movie. Because I don't think it's fun. I don't think Adrian Lyne is even going for fun. Like, the first few sex... Like, the first few sex scenes are very well directed in the sense that they feel so real. Like, they're what, like, real people look like when they're trying to be sexy, like, in a movie. But it's kind of silly. He's great at a sex scene. Yeah, it's kind of silly. And, like, really... I mean, I don't know. Like... Not my type, like, of sex anyway, but, like, yeah. it is. it was not erotic to me in any sense of the word, but kind of, like, fun to watch in this, like, 
weird way. But um, there's there's it feels dangerous from the beginning. Like yeah, and it and that's the smart thing about it. But it's also like like he's te- it does feel like he's telling you early on like oh this is not going to turn out well like especially the like elevator scene. Yeah, that that one in particular. And listen, nobody loves uh, filming people having sex outside in public in New York City like Adrian Lyne. Truly, his <laughs> career has been made of it. I mean, I'm not kidding. It's his thing. But um, no, it's just this It's this movie that it's very hard to watch, I think, anymore and get any enjoyment out of. There's like one or two scenes where I was like, that's a good moment. But this movie really rubbed me the wrong way and just feels very gross and i mean like you have erotic thrillers um like basic instinct which are also problematic but are filmed with such fun and energy where it's like oh like you know i can roll my eyes at the date in this but it's really good this movie i truly was like this feels lost to an era yeah like it also like sympathetic like basic instinct instinct is more sympathetic to its female character and Mm -hmm. honestly he fucking Adrian Lyne has made better movies about this exact kind of thing. Unfaithful is, is his film too. And that's really good. That's a great, really good. Oh yeah. And that's totally him. And it, it's, it's told from this woman's perspective and like she cheats on her wife too. And, and her husband goes kind of nuts over it. Like it's a completely different perspective and it's made, you know, 20 years later, basically. And so much better. And like, even he understands if you look at something like nine and a half weeks, which people hate, but I, which is, I don't understand because it's honestly fantastic. Um, like that, that also is so sympathetic to his female character. And like, he usually is, he made flash dance for fuck's sake. Like, I don't understand why this film is such an aberration. And I'm, I, I guess the only reason is the script and like, there are just better thrillers in his, in his oeuvre and like in, in this year, frankly. There's a better we're going I will talk about it. But there is a better sex thriller in this movie in this year that didn't get nominated and should have been. I'm so curious cuz I have a thriller but I don't know if I call it a sex thriller. Interesting. Oh, um ooh, exciting. Get ready. Get ready people. But um yeah, I mean, how do we feel about Glenn? Let's talk about Glenn. Um Glenn's great. I I think she does a lot with um a role that is completely against her and the and the times that you do feel sympathy for her are uh, it's completely thanks to her performance. Yeah, I do think she's really, really wonderful in this. In just like again, in a, I mean, in a weird way, it kind of sums up so many of her big roles. Where it's like yeah. she's just constantly the best thing in a either a thankless role or a bad movie. Like, and here <laughs> yeah. she's. I mean, I, I feel poor Glenn. It's like we need to get her. I want when she wins an Oscar finally for it to be a good movie, and it truly is just like a reminder that she's a great actress. And so mm. many times she's just in these movies that are just so, bleh. <laughs> like, yeah. ugh, I mean, I, I do get why she did it though, because like she was known like the, she wasn't sexy before this film. People didn't think of her that way. She was just like this like the everybody thought of her as her character from the world according to garp which is like a a nice like a the the the, the like earth mother type you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like i get why she did it and it does totally change her what people think she can do like the wife doesn't happen without this in a way do you know what i mean like you don't you don't cast her in an edgy role or like a better example would probably be like um uh dangerous liaisons doesn't happen mm-hmm. without this yes. do you know what i mean yeah where like People have to think of her that certain way because she uh, without like without this role, they wouldn't think of her that way. So it helped her career and like 
expanded what she could do. But like, I think the most disturbing thing I read about it was like, um, Adrian Lyon made her lose like 10 pounds before it started. And I was like, Jesus Christ, Adrian, how can I defend you when you do shit like this? Like, <laughs> he's a problematic fave. It's so bad. Like, I, and again, it's all from this movie, all of his other stuff I'm fine with. And, um, we'll talk about it, him in a little bit, but I do think Michael Douglas is very bad in this movie. <laughs> I, I truly, I mean, this is a hot take possibly for, you know, something 20 years ago, but I truly don't understand where we got Michael Douglas from because he is <laughs> not good. In I had that same hot take that I was planning on dropping later in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, do, I think he's given one good performance. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And like one good performance and he was a sex symbol people in the 80s. Let's not forget that. And looking at him now, I could not be less attracted to a man. A couple years ago, some friends and I watched um, Romancing the Stone, and it was the second time I'd seen it. And the first time, I'd kind of thought it was pretty good. And the second time, we were like, I literally can't watch Michael Douglas touch beautiful Kathleen Turner one more time. I'm going to lose it. He is so gross. How did any women find this man attractive? He is gross. Get away from her, Michael. Get away. Don't you touch her. (laughs) (laughs) He's given one good performance, and that's Behind the Candelabra, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. (laughs) Um, so let's move on now to Moonstruck, the, I think, pretty iconic romantic comedy that got Cher an Oscar. Yeah, snap out of it. Yeah, and I mean, like, <laughs> you know, Cher is an Oscar, and we'll talk about the Best Actress race more explicitly when we get through all these Best Picture nominees, but, you know, I do think, at the very least, we can all say it is good that Cher has an Oscar. Um, this is, of course, the film about... The this woman in Brooklyn, um, she's Greek, right? Yes, not not Italian. I always say Italian because they're basically the same thing. <laughs> no, she is Italian, I think, actually. Okay, she's okay. Never mind, she's Italian. Yeah. And um, it's about she falls in love with a a quirky man, let's say, <laughs> played by Nicolas Cage, and it is their very over the top Italian Brooklyn love story. It is a favorite in the Taylor family, not in my immediate family, but in my Italian family. Yeah. And it is on all the time. And I feel like my grandparents, may they rest in peace, inspired their personas after the grandparents in this movie. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. This is a, this is a movie that I saw in college and I remember being very excited to see it because my family had hyped it up so much. I had seen clips and like I knew of its reputation, but like I only sat down to watch it in full in college. And I remember being totally charmed by Cher. She's genuinely really great in it and in a way that I think we don't give her enough credit for because she truly sheds her star image. Like she is not good in this movie because she's playing off her image as Cher. She's good in this movie because she's giving a totally d- different performance that, like, realistically is interesting to look back and realize she gave. Like, it's a toned-down, yeah. realistic performance. And, um... She's unrecognizable. Yeah, I mean, she's not glamorous at all in the movie. She's beautiful, but not, like, her glamorous share self. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting role that I don't think we have quite a comparison. F- I mean, I'm in a way, Gaga in A Star is Born is doing a similar thing of downplaying her image and doing something else but this right. is another level but right because like gaga eventually has to become herself in a way but like right. this is never happens in moonstruck exactly and god imagine that movie where she also becomes a pop star <laughs> <laughs> it's called mama mia too there we go but um i will say though i found the actual romance in this movie so boring like i did not want her with nicholas cage i think Hating on Nicolas Cage is a very silly 
thing to do on the internet. I hate when people make fun of him and act like he's the worst actor of all time because that is just like watch a movie made before two thousand four. But um, like I think they they have no chemistry in this film, and he is flying over the top in this movie. And it really for a movie that is about big personalities, he is just like going to he's like at a fourteen. And he's yeah. got to be at a 10 with the rest of the cast. What do you he think? He makes choices in this, and they are bad. Like, yes. I like him most of the time. I think Face Off is actually great. Like, everybody oh, makes a, fun of that movie. It's a masterpiece, Face Off. Face Off it is a masterpiece. There, people are too mean to that film. It's great. Um, and there are films, like, where he's, like, legitimately bad. And, and this is one of them. And, I, again, I really don't say that a lot. Like... I like most of his stuff. I think he's great in Mandy. People are really mean to that film. And I like, well, his performance, like they, there's so much laughter about it. I remember watching it and everybody was just like giggling the whole time. I'm like, what is honestly funny about this? Mm-hmm. But like this and Peggy Sue got married, I think are his two worst performances. Honestly, I, like there's, it's just, and they both have the same problem where he makes a weird character choice where he's like emo insane in this. And he is just screaming and yelling. And then all of a sudden he's in love with Cher, which like, I guess, sure. <laughs> But like it's he's and he's missing an arm or whatever. It's so yeah, he's missing weird. an arm. It's like like he is in a different movie than everyone else because everyone else is so understated deliberately. And like partially he does have to be that kind of romantic to like extreme romantic to sort of get her to open up to him and like basically leave her, his brother for her for him because um, she's engaged to his brother who's like, you know, a nice guy, just like not cute. Um, <laughs> sorry about it. Um <laughs> But, like, so, like, it has to be there. And I do kind of like that about it. Like, the way that romance is both, like, the way I I talked about at the time is that, like, romance is both banal and sort of, like, magical in this. Like, Mm. Moonstruck is all about, like, the moon being, uh, affecting, like, creating love in people. Do you know what I mean? Like, when it's big and and full. There's a lot Um, of, I like, almost magic realism. I don't want to, like, it's, like, a bit of an over-label. But, like, But it borders on it. It borders on it, for sure. Um, and yeah, like I, I get that that's what he has to be, but like somebody, anybody else should have been cast in that role or like someone sort of should have said to him like, this is a bad choice. Cause it, maybe it worked then, but it does not age well now. And like, he seems like such a man child mm-hmm. and it, it sucks to me that like, it does feel very correct. Like honestly, culturally, <laughs> like yeah, it not, does. <laughs> not to shit on our Italian brethren, but like, it feels kind of realistic. Um, but, like, it sucks that she sort of ends up with a guy she's going to have to mother, essentially, for the rest of her life. Yeah, it's very funny. Um, this movie, like Fatal Attraction, they're not quite as big, was, like, a real cultural phenomenon in the 80s. It made a lot of money. It is still, especially in Italian families, still mm-hmm. highly regarded as a classic. If this was made today, I do not think people would connect with it, even if it was, like, had as good of performances. I think there would be this dialogue around, like... Do we want Cher's character, who is this wonderful, mm-hmm. like, totally put-together woman, to be with someone who she has to, like, parents, while also being yeah. their, like, partner? It is definitely something where you're like, I don't know, like, it feels weird. I won- I, I, I don't know, I wonder if I had seen this when I was younger, in, like, in full, if I would have enjoyed it more. But watching it in college, I do remember thinking, I'm like, God, I'm like, Cher, run away. <laughs> like, yeah. Run away it, from it, him. It, it does feel like we expect or like we we're, we're we since 1987 women have been allowed to expect more. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean 
there's a, <laughs> this is only 87. When we go back to some of the romantic comedies from previous years, I feel like we're going to get into a lot of situations. Oh, my where God. Where we're like, run away. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it get out of there girl yeah 100% um no very interesting movie I mean there are some great lines in it though like there's there uh, there's a lot to love in this movie but as a unit I am kind of like eh, like not not my bag <laughs> yeah it's it's not hateable necessarily it's just like darn I wish that were better if it was any less charming, I think it would be hateable. But it's so damn charming when it when it yeah. works that you're like, "Fuck it, problematic fave." Like, yeah, 100%. and Cher really is great in it. Like, oh, she's phenomenal. She's so sympathetic and lovely, and like you just fall in love with her immediately. Like, you get why she, he falls in love with her. Why she falls in love with him when he's literally throwing a tantrum in a pizza place is insane. It is a shame that Cher does not act as often anymore i mean honestly even after this it's like the 90s it's not like she's acting regularly or anything like that and 2000s she doesn't need to she's share like she can do whatever the fuck she wants and remain just successful she can just tweet for the rest of her life and it'd be fine but like i'd love to see her act where she's a genuinely wonderful actress and yeah. you know five minutes of mama mia 2 is not enough no, I mean, it, it was a transcendent experience, but I did want more. <laughs> it was. When she started singing Fernando, ooh. But, um, nah, and, uh, you know, that Cher album, that uh, Ava cover album, amazing. Oh, great. great. But, you know, we, we stand Cher on this podcast. We'll talk about her again when we get to 83. But, um, so now we move on to the final film nominated for Best Picture in 1987, Broadcast News. Do you want to... What are your thoughts on Broadcast News, Marissa? Well, I watch Broadcast News because it is one of your favorite movies, and you had said it somewhere, probably letterboxed, and I was like, hmm, I should watch that. If, if Matt likes it, I'll watch it. So I watched it last fall, and it's uh, it's really good. Like, I can't argue with it. Um, I totally see why it's one of your favorites. I was like, <laughs> so yeah, I watched it like six months ago because of you. Yeah, actually, the first time we ever met up in person to see The Wife together, it all connects back to Glenn. Um, when we were <laughs> leaving The Wife, I mentioned broadcast news for some reason, probably because we were talking about Best Actress in 1987, realistically. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was shocked you hadn't seen broadcast news because... It is not one of my favorite. It is like my number one all-time favorite movie. I think I have literally seen it maybe like 15 times in my life. Like it is, which is more than I've probably seen any movie since I was a kid. Um, maybe even we're hitting like 20 or 25 times at this point. Uh, it is a movie, for those who don't know, which shame on you, um, is <laughs> a romantic comedy directed by, written and directed by James L. Brooks, who did Terms of Endearment. This was his follow-up to that. And... Um, which one best picture, obviously. Yeah. But um, it follows three different p- people involved in the world of broadcast news. Holly Hunter plays a producer who is this neurotic woman, but she's incredibly just good with her job. And her best friend is a reporter who is not very camera friendly, not doesn't have a lot of star presence, but is a good reporter. And then she's falling for the new anchorman who is very charming and very good looking and likable, but is just not intelligent and is sort of a symbol for the shift from news to entertainment. And what I love about the film, I mean, there are many things I could, that we could do a three hour podcast on the many things I love about broadcast news, but um, it takes the romantic comedy genre, which I love and my love for that genre is well-documented, but makes it something that is a genuinely satisfying romantic comedy, but 
about something more without ever sacrificing that romantic comedy quirk. It is totally fine to view it as on the surface as this fun romantic comedy, but it is exploring through these characters the role of news in our li- in our lives, like who, who has the right to tell certain stories, how how should stories be told? These characters represent the two polar opposite sides between, you know, hard-hitting but perhaps inaccessible news and fluff that might not be culturally relevant or important. And the way it explores that is so fascinating. I watched it last night and I did not need to watch it again before this podcast <laughs> because I could probably do it all like off my mind. But um, I watched it anyway because it is just so good. And if you haven't watched it, you should watch it now because it's genuinely excellent. It was it was a hit at the time it was released. It, if you adjust its gross for inflation, it goes over 100 million, which is pretty incredible because it is not your average romantic comedy like i i i don't think if, if it was released today i do not think it would have re- it would be resonate with audiences in the same way as it might have in the 80s but of course you have to consider the star power of james l brooks name because terms of endearment was like the avengers of weekends <laughs> in 1983 <laughs> um yeah and everybody shits on it now for whatever reason oh we'll get to it i will i'm gonna call out anybody who shits <laughs> on terms of endearment when we get to that but Babe. um no, Rogast News, though, really fabulous film. The boys in it are good, William. Like, but I don't want to talk about the boys. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're here to talk about Holly Hunter, who is on another level and in this movie. She won an Oscar eventually for 1993 for the piano, and she's really good on the piano. But it is insane to me she did not win an Oscar for this movie. She is so fucking good in this movie. Yeah. I mean, she does this thing, Marissa alluded to the beginning of the episode, throughout the movie, where one of her quirks is that she just gives herself time to cry, where she unplugs her phone and, like, hides in, like, the office or in her hotel room and just sobs and then goes back to her day. And it's a mood. Like, it is, like, she, that is something so silly and so quirky that it should not work. And she completely sells it. And it is very funny to me that the first time I watched this film, when I was 14, um, my dad showed it to me because it's one of his favorite movies. Um, I, when I was 14, I was like, oh my god, I feel so bad for her. Like, what a sad character. And now I'm like, look, girl, I'm with you. I'm crying in the bathroom <laughs> at work when I need, when I'm just, I've had enough. <laughs> my, my coworker and I literally, literally, like, there's an Onion article a couple years ago that was like, um, woman moves Thursday cry to Wednesday morning because, um, some time opened up and like, <laughs> Truly, we talk about that all the time, like doing like, oh, God, I need a Thursday cry, like all the time, like truly, because it's like it is such the like modern, like especially millennial, like working mood of like we were are running ourselves into the ground. And sometimes you just need to like existentially feel that. And then you got to wrap it up and be like, <sighs> and then get back to your desk like <laughs> before that meeting. It's like it's so prescient it's like disturbing no yeah like it's it i for those who don't know my age or anything like that uh i started working as like a full-time post-college person um in like the fall of 2016 what else happened around that time so like (laughs) the start of my work-life stress was like exactly matched up with my existential dread about the world so you know crying in bathrooms became a thing that i am very good at and it feels good it is it's good therapy honestly yeah and i've been working in election results from 20 since 2011 so guess like i really learned about thursday cries in uh, 2016 that's for damn sure (laughs) but um one other thing that you mentioned actually you alluded to when we're talking about 
um, Fatal Attraction is the Deborah of it all, um, <laughs> Deborah, Deborah Winger, who we will talk again when we get to 1983 when Terms of Endearment won, but was like the biggest actress in the 80s. And then in 87, I guess she was she was pregnant. And yeah. because of that, she had to turn down both Fatal Attraction and Broadcast News. And I think it changed her entire timeline, which is, of course, like terrible and sexist. And, you know, like yeah. if this I don't think I mean, I hope to God that would not, that would not happen today to an actress. If like by getting pregnant, it would like destroy their career. But what what could she have done with these parts? I will say I think Holly Hunter is perfect to broadcast news. Yeah, but... it is interesting, though, that like Brooks wrote wrote this role for her, actually, like for Deborah Winger. And then like right before they were going to go into it, she was like, oh, sorry, pregnant. Um, but like, she also did quit the industry uh, on some level because she is apparently kind of a terror. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) I never knew that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. It's she, she may have dug her own grave, um, on some level. I mean, she basically did like, there's a whole documentary about her. Just it's called what, whatever happened to Deborah Winger or something like that. Um, or where is Deborah Winger? It's it's all, it's a question mark of like, where the fuck is Deborah Winger? Um, (laughs) (laughs) did we make this movie? (laughs) Listen, I ask that question every single day. Um, and like, she, she would have been great in it. Absolutely. But like, she had other things to do that year. Um, and like, like have a baby. Um, and she would have been great, but like Holly Hunter is perfect in this role and it's, it's incredible. But like, yeah, Deborah Winger is hanging over all of this. Like she, she could have been, she's like the Jean Arthur of this year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's like, I am so curious to see what she would have done with either part. Honestly, like it's yeah. her and fatal attraction is like a, I, I genuinely cannot imagine what it would be like, but I want to yeah. see it would have been because- m- totally different. I think. She is sexy, but like in a very different way. But I guess like Glenn is de- was thought of in the same way. But like there is a tomboyishness about Deborah Winger that isn't in that that is part of her appeal mm. for me. But yeah, we'll yeah. talk about her eventually. I cannot wait to get to 1983. Terms of Endearment is so fucking good, people. If you hate it, you're crazy. Um, <laughs> sorry, but um, and just like Holly Hunter, man, it's like. She she has an Oscar. She she's had a great career, but like I want her in more movies. Like it's a shame that she had a real run in like the late eighties, early nineties. Wins an Oscar in nineties in ninety three, and then has like one other nomination for thirteen from two thousand three, and then it is like a voice actor more or less. I mean, she weirdly got a lot of Oscar buzz for The Big Sick. Which I remember yeah. thinking, I'm like, I love Holly Hunter. There's nothing in that performance that I thought deserved an, a nomination. But I just want more Holly Hunter. I think she's a wonderful actress. Yeah, she's great. She was on a very bad HBO show that I watched in its entirety, here and now, because I liked her so much. So, um, obviously, for the people who are listening, you know that we go through all the Big Six awards now, and we um, cast our votes, but... Uh, let's start. We, let's start with actress this time because we have just been talking about the three big oh, frontrunners. Sure, yeah. Obviously, Cher won. Um, Glenn Close and Holly Hunter were nominated. The other two nominations, neither of whom I've actually seen, was Meryl Streep in Ironweed and Sally Kirkland in Anna. 
I tried to watch Ironweed before this episode, but it's two and a half hours, and I just did not have the time. <laughs> and yeah. Anna, I've genuinely never heard of before doing this research. <laughs> yeah, apparently that was just um about her campaigning a shitload because like this, like she like literally <laughs> the uh, like Sally Kirkland like wet was on the streets by like you know calling all of her friends. She enlisted. <laughs> Fellow actress Shelley Winters to make phone calls to people, which is so funny to me. I can't even imagine. Like, you imagine picking up the phone and being like, hello? And it's like, hi, this is Shelley Winters. I'd be like, all right, mom, stop it. Like, who is this? Like, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> it reminds it's- me of, like, Melissa Leo's notorious Oscar campaign yeah. from, from, I think, the fighter year. Um, yeah. Where she, like, took her own photos of, like, her in, like, fur. (laughs) It was... And gay Twitter loved it. I don't think any of our straight listeners know what we're talking about, but it meant a lot to gay Twitter. (laughs) Oh, it did. Um, But, yeah, it's like she literally got this nomination based on, like, literally hoofing it around. And I do actually think that's kind of why Holly Hunter lost, because she, she refused to campaign. Yeah, and that that's a very Holly Hunter move, to be honest. She does seem like the yeah. type who is so far removed from the industry of it all. Yeah, you know, I mean, come on, Pete, come on, voters. What do you? You don't, you're not charmed by her, God. Yeah. Um, um. So I guess you you obviously would choose Holly Hunter then, right? <laughs> for for every award, actually, she's my pick for every category. Holly Hunter, <laughs> director, Holly <laughs> <photography>. Hunter, photography. <laughs> Um, I actually still choose Cher because I really like Cher in that movie. I think she's great. Um, she's wonderful. I think she would have been ignored. She like, it, like Holly. You know, she's gonna get one. I feel the same way about like, you know, the whole Gaga of it all. Like, I I kind of wish she'd won this year because she'll. I don't think she'll ever get a chance again. And like Cher clearly has never gotten a chance again. Uh, partially because she chose to sort of focus on other things, but like I don't know. I just I think I would have liked that. It is a very nice win. I'm happy she has an Oscar. Yeah. And also I just think and we'll talk about this in many years to come, especially in like the nineties and two thousands. Um the Academy does not seem to get comedic performances at all. So whenever there's a comedic winner, I cannot deny because I mean Holly Hunter's movies technically it's it's a comedy, but I don't really consider Holly Hunter's performance comedic it's like she's playing a real person there are some funny moments but her best scenes i think are her dramatic ones yeah um, it is she, wild to me that that's considered a comedy because it is really dark like really dark excuse me um broadcast news you mean yeah yeah no it's like very dark i mean i don't want to spoil it because i'm telling everyone to watch it but like the big third act fight between the main couple is based on something very dark and kind of like that makes william hurt's character somewhat irredeemable in my eyes and i think that's something yeah. that like is so um, fascinating about that movie, where it's not like a romantic comedy, even though it's on every list of like best romantic comedies of all time. And I mean, yeah, and, any list that goes on, I'm happy. But <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Have you seen? But it Iron is Man? very like. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny how a movie starring Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep is like not remembered <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, like I guess they were in Heartbeat or whatever together. So maybe that's or Heartburn. I guess it's called. Um, the, so memorable. like that's the one that people remember but like otherwise who who the hell i mean honestly it was on prime and i was really like oh i should just watch it and then i was like there are other things to do <laughs> like life is so fucking short yes so now let's go to the boys um best actor in a leading role michael douglas won but not for fatal attraction he won for wall street and then also nominated our um marcello Mastri- mastriani for dark eyes William Hurt for Broadcast News, 
Jack Nicholson for Ironweed, and Robin Williams for Good Morning Vietnam. Some pretty, like, famous movies, and then Dark Eyes and Ironweed. Um, (laughs) Like, (laughs) poor Jack, who's also in broadcast news, people. That sells you even more. Um, But let's talk about the winner, Michael Douglas. We shit on him already. I think Wall Street's a garbage movie. I think Oliver Stone has made, like, maybe two good movies in his entire career. And... I hate this one so much. I'd rather him win for Fatal Attraction, to be honest. It makes sense because that movie, like like most of Oliver Stone's filmography, is the 80s, like, incarnate. Like, if the 80s yeah. became a movie, it'd be an Oliver Stone movie. But yep. I crashed, really like, hate that Two months before it came out. Sorry, what was that? I said the market crashed two months before it came out. Yeah, and it... So, what's your thoughts on Wall Street? Like, uh, um, very bad. But I actually think he should have won for this role only. Like, I, this is the one one of the few performances I think he's ever been good in because he's he plays a shithead. And truly, Michael Douglas's appeal is that he's a piece of shit person in all of these films. And this one is the only one that harnesses it correctly. Otherwise, I don't think the movie's very good. It's sort of like, you know, it's very high and mighty in its way, but like also full of shit. It's just so full of shit. Like the 80s. Um, but um, Michael Douglas, well, Wall Street is such an interesting film in general because what made it, like, what detached me so much from it is more Charlie Sheen's performance, which is fucking terrible. It is wild to me that Charlie Sheen, like, was a serious golden boy of the 80s in dramas. Yeah. Like, when I started going back and, like, reading about historical context while watching movies, that was one of those things that I really was hung up on because I knew him as the sitcom guy. And then later... Yeah the like tiger blood guy and he's bad um, in it he's really bad in he's it. very he's bad in a lot of oliver stone movies i do not like oliver stone i am not looking forward to when we get to 1986 but um no um i think i'd go with william hurt not because i'm a broadcast news stan but like i do think he's quite good in it i think william hurt has a great run of performances in the 80s with one mm-hmm. notice with one notable exception um oh and um I also do like Robin Williams a lot in Good Morning Vietnam. I have mixed feelings about that movie as a whole, but yeah. when Robin Williams is in a dramatic movie, he fully commits in a way that so few comedic actors do, and I think yeah. he's quite good in Good Morning Vietnam, but that is not the I movie fully, I- Yeah, I fully agree with that. I, I, that's the other one that I maybe would pick, but I haven't I haven't seen it in a while, but I watched it a shitload as a kid, and he's very charming. Like, it's, it's just him, like, basically doing a stand-up routine. It's great. It's good. Yeah, I, he's such a good dramatic actor, they're like, we'll, we'll talk about Goodwill Hunting obviously one year, when, when eventually, and that'll be a lot of fun. But I mean, mm-hmm. Fisher King, I stand that movie hard. Um, yeah, I hate that movie, but he's very good in it. <laughs> um, let's go to the other boys. Best actor in a supporting role. One of the mm-hmm. most wild winners, I think, <laughs> ever is Sean Connery for The Untouchables. Um, and then also nominated Denzel Washington in Cry Freedom. Vincent Gardenia for Moonstruck, Albert Brooks for Broadcast News, and Morgan Freeman for Street Smart. Who's your pick, Marissa? Um, I, can I decline? I, I mean, I guess I would choose Albert Brooks because he's really good, but, like, this is such an insane category. I don't even, like, know how to compare them to each other. Like, I don't understand why Vincent Gardenia was, frankly, nominated because he's in that movie, but he's barely in it. Yeah, it is. he's the least remarkable thing in that movie. Um, 100%. Um... But yeah, I don't know. I guess I choose Albert Brooks by default because I don't love him a lot, but he's very funny in that movie. He's very funny. I think putting him in supporting is a weird choice. I know, like, it's so hard to campaign two people of the same gender in the same category. 
But like yeah. he's a lead. They're all leads in that movie. He has just as much of an arc as William William Hurt and Holly Hunter. So putting him in supporting feels silly to me. But he'd probably be my vote. I love The Untouchables. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like it is a silly movie that I fully love. But like Sean Connery does nothing in that movie that warrants a nomination. There are yeah. those occasional supporting actor performances from like the eighties and nineties of someone in a blockbuster where you look back and you're like. Oh wow, that one like like Al Pacino and Dick Tracy and things like that, Brilliant. and that this is one of them. Sean Connery and Untouchables. He is like almost, I would say, bad in the movie, but it's so not about the performances where I don't even care. <laughs> yeah, he does a terrible Chicago accent. It's quite funny. Um, so yeah, the boys they don't matter. Um, back to the ladies, actress in a supporting role. We have the winner Olympia Dukakis for Moonstruck. And then also nominated, nominated Anne Archer for Fatal Attraction, Norma Alejandro for Gabby, A True Story, Anne Southern for The Whales of August, and Anne Ramsey for Throw Mama from a Train. I've only seen Moonstruck or Fatal Attraction, so, but you know, I, mm-hmm. Olivia Dukakis is quite good in Moonstruck, so I'll go with her. Yeah, I think I I think Anne Archer is great in Fatal Attraction, um, playing like. Even though her character is integral to why you hate, um, why you side with the misogyny of it all, she is so fucking good in that scene where she says to uh, Glenn Close's character, like, if you come near my child again, I'll fucking kill you or whatever. She doesn't Mm -hmm. say fuck. Um, I'll I'll kill you, basically. Like, she's great in it. And she's integral to the the ending, which if it had not – if she hadn't been in it, maybe it would be less – like, it would be even less empowering. Do you know what I mean? To have, like – like a woman protecting her family rather than some piece of shit guy who cheated anyway, trying to protect his family. Um, I love Anne Ramsey in throw mama from the train. I've seen that movie like 300 times. Um, like as a kid, again, weird kid. Um, but <laughs> Olympia Dukakis is so sympathetic and lovely and moonstruck. Like she deserved it and I'm not going to take it away from her. She has that great. That's too bad line, which is yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. But no, I agree. Anne Archer does a lot with a part that should have been nothing, and um, the ending of Fatal Attraction that like the all, the ending they went with that Glenn Close and a lot of actors involved did not like, um, and a lot of critics did not like, yeah. like is really good when it's just Anne Archer and Glenn Close in the room. Once it becomes, yeah. I mean, it's problematic, but it's more suspenseful and more interesting. And you know, I I'm happy Anne Archer got nominated. It's a sort of performance that doesn't seem like it would get nominated today. Totally, totally. And really, really fast before we go on to um, what we think should have been nominated, let's talk about one category that is just so insane. We had to. Oh wait, we it. forgot to. We didn't do director. Oh yeah, fuck. Um, let me go back up. IMDb has these categories arranged in a weird way. Best director. The winner was Bernardo Bertolucci for The Last Emperor. And then, like most cases, it's a lot of matchup between best best picture and best director. Um, John Borman for Hope and Glory, Norman Jewison for Moonstruck, Adrian Lyme um, mm-hmm. for Fatal Attraction. Okay, I was like, how am I doing this again? And then, in a nomination that is kind of funny in hindsight, Lassa Hallstrom for My Life as a Dog. I've never seen My Life as a Dog. I do not know if it's good. But Lassa Hallstrom has made, like, no good movies really for a while um yeah we shat on the cider house rules like three weeks ago or you know a couple couple episodes ago yeah and his latest output is like bad nicholas sparks adaptations and yeah the one with miley cyrus and um and 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 the hemsworth she married 
He didn't he also do the Channing Tatum and the Seyfried one, or am I just like Oh, Dear John, I think maybe, yeah. He did a lot of ones that are just not particularly memorable. Can but, you tell I've seen them all? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen most of them too, to be honest. Like I've definitely seen a a fair share of Nicholas Sparks movies. I hung out with a lot of girls in high school. <laughs> but um you know, it's kind of funny that James L. Brooks was not nominated, which is like, but you know, yeah. whatever. I'll put yeah, it aside. he probably should have been. Probably should have been. But he apparently there one. was a huge campaign for Halstrom. Like, they sent out, like, posters to everyone in the Academy, the studio. Have you seen is, My Life as a Dog? Uh, when I was a kid, yeah. Any memories, fond or otherwise? Um, I liked it then, but, you know, I probably would feel differently now. But, I, I, like, I'm not – I already said I'm a big Adrian Lyne fan. He's my boy. I wish he'd won this one because he never won one. Yeah, well, this is probably, I imagine, his only nomination. Yeah, only nomination. Wow. Yep, his only nomination. Um, Oh, poor Adrian. Even though mm-hmm. this movie's problematic. But um This is such a bad movie and the rest of his movies are good, goddammit. I actually don't re I, I guess I'd give it to Ber- Bernardo Bertolucci because like it's a technical feat, but like yeah. yeah, none of these nominations are that great, to be honest. Yeah. Or like special. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. No, I agree. Weird year. So the other category one of the highlight, which is sort of just crazy and fun, is Best Original Song. <laughs> the winner was I've had a time, time of my life from Dirty Dancing, a movie I've never seen, but I went to prom with the director's niece, so, you know, it's, like, almost the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also nominated was Cry Freedom from the movie Cry Freedom, Storybook Love from Princess Bride, Shakedown from Beverly Hills Cop 2, and <laughs> Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now from Mannequin, which is fucking awesome. The Academy yeah. today would never... They would never. Mannequin, I die. Like, that's a shit movie, but this song is a fucking bop. I'm sorry. It is so good. I listened to it again, and I was like, wait a minute. This was in another movie recently, and it is in the, like, emotional climax of that movie Instant Family that came out last year, and it fucking works. It's a good song. I I, I like – I mean, I, I'm a – total dirty dancing stan and actually i would have nominated hungry eyes instead which is another original (laughs) song from that movie (laughs) i'm a real fan of that album people um but like nothing's gonna stop us now it it has some staying power it's it's a damn good song but i've had to have had the time of my life is like the you know the famous one i will say that they're both really remembered though in different ways and like it's it's funny to me that so many people like kind of shit on nothing's gonna stop i mean they shit on both of them realistically because like yeah. god forbid we have fun pop songs yeah but, right like, god, god forbid to something be about a woman basically but like it's funny that like nothing's gotta stop us now at the very least which i guess i would give the award to just because i prefer it slightly to i've had a hot time in my life um like if we're still talking about it it's a good pop song people like yeah. that's just how pop music works and also i will say I fully love Storybook Love from A Princess Bride. Um, and yeah, what a, the, the best original song categories are so boring these days. I wish we nominated more fun pop songs like this. Yeah, this, this category is truly a blast. I mean, something from Beverly Hills Cop 2 is, is in here. And honestly, that song is good, too. All of these songs are pretty good. Cry Freedom is very specific because it's, like, definitely about, like, liberating self or, like, you know, social unrest in South Africa, which is rough. But like, and it's the only one that sort of is like, okay, I don't want to listen to this again. I'm really sad now. Like, <laughs> that's because of the subject matter. The rest of these are kind of fun. Like, Storybook Love is cheesy as hell. But like, we all know it. It comes at the credits. And like, again, I would have nominated different songs 
in for Dirty Dancing, but at least it's not She's Like the Wind, which I honestly think is one of the worst songs I've ever heard. Do you remember when they remade that in like the mid-2000s? I cannot think of who sang it, but they did like a like a hip-hop version of it that was just like... Oh, I, no, I don't remember that. I do remember the um, the sort of the, the wannabe live musical they did like three years ago, which was one of the worst things I've ever seen because they oh, like redid so the ending. Oh. I reviewed it for the site and I remember just watching it because no one else wanted it and being like, I hate everyone. <laughs> I was busy that night or I certainly would have. Truly. It was like three hours. It's My bad. Gosh. It's um, so bad because it's got, I think it's got um, that dumb dancer girl who is who they keep trying to make happen from Dancing with the Stars. Julianne <laughs> Huff. Isn't it Julianne Huff? She's in the Footloose remake. It's I think it's Abigail Breslin in the Dirty Dancing. Oh God, it's, oh you're right. It's even worse. It's Ugh. so bizarre. And Sarah Hyland from Modern Family. Yeah, um, you know who was good in that? Nicole Scherzinger was the only good thing in that. Yeah, Nicole, I can't even bother to pronounce her last name. I'm very bad at pronouncing things, people. <laughs> she should have a great career. She's fucking amazing. Yeah, she She's, had a blast during that piece of shit. Oh, God, it was so bad. You all are happy I was not podcasting when the Pussycat Dolls were a thing. I would have been unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a Pussycat Dolls stand podcast. <laughs> um, so... Let's use the Princess Bride connection as a way to transition to the films that we think should have been nominated, the For Your Consideration segment. Um, Because Princess Bride, which was not very well regarded at the time, I know, but should have fucking been nominated. That movie is a fucking masterpiece. Hell yeah, it is. Uh, Frankly, I would say Dirty Dancing should have been nominated, too. This whole category could literally just be us going back and forth on movies we think should have been nominated because there it are is. Oh, it's so be. many. It's truly going to be. I have like, like five that I want f- to mention. You, you could go first. <laughs> <laughs> Let's unload. So Princess Bride, obviously amazing. Um, it's actually my, my mom's favorite movie. Um, I probably have seen it so many times because it was on all the time when I was a kid. She yeah. didn't even have the VHS tape. She, like, recorded it from TV once. So it was, like, we had, like, full commercials on the VHS. <laughs> but it was great. I, that movie is so wonderful. Um, yeah. And, I mean, just what a great screenplay. Like, it is, like, again, there's, a like, like with Mannequin, or the song from Mannequin, it's cheesy, but there is a reason it is still brought up anymore, and it's because it's good. Like, it is yeah. okay that it's cheesy. I literally um, watched it in uh in a in a garden in I have a I have a like a like a membership to the the Botanic Garden in Brooklyn and they played it in the Rose Garden last year and my I was I look forward to it all summer it was great it's so wonderful I'm long overdue for a rewatch of it I need to give it a try again um I just love it so much um another one that I mentioned before but I'll give it a quick shout out is The Untouchables is really fucking fun people and like you know. In a way, just as silly and slight as Fatal Attraction is in the grand scheme of things. Like, it's not exploring anything new. It's an adaptation of, like, an old TV show. It's what, honestly one of Brian De Palma's least memorable movies, but it's a total blast. I had a lot of fun with it. I went through, like, a whole Brian De Palma phase when I was in college, like most college boys do. Yeah. And Speaking of, did you know he was supposed to direct Fatal Attraction? God, can you imagine what that would have been like? Way better. Oh, my God. It would actually have been, like, fun. Yeah. But, um... Oof, now I'm just going to think about that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, Untouchables is really fun. Sean Connery did not, did not need the Oscar for it, but I don't care. It's fun movie. Um, another one, which is a bit of an out there, out there pick for this one, but you got to go with me on it, is um, RoboCop. <laughs> which yeah. I am a huge Paul Verhoeven fan. 
he is someone whose filmography is so interesting to me because when I first saw his movies back when I was probably in high school or college, I had this whole idea of like, oh, like he's fun, but these are just like fun, disposable movies. And then as an adult, I returned to it and I was like, no, these movies are fucking great. And yeah. what um, it is so well-made and intelligent and talking about, I mean, it's talking about commercialism and capitalism in the most on the nose way, but who cares? It's fun. And I love that movie. And then the two that are genuinely like quote unquote Oscar movies or Oscar adjacent movies that I do really, really love are, um, Angel Heart. Have you seen Angel Heart? I'm very curious. I have not. Angel Heart is a very interesting film from the eighties yeah, it's. I don't want to get too into detail because it is kind of fun if you don't know the twists. But um, Mickey Rourke plays a private eye who is hired by Robert De Niro in a very, very scary role to um, track down a man who owes De Niro money and is missing. And it gets weird and supernatural, and it is a very odd blend of like Chinatown and The Exorcist, and um, it terrified me the first time I watched it. It is still one of the few movies that has genuinely scared me so much while watching it, and I still get creeped out while watching it, but it's great. Lisa Bonet is in it, and she's amazing. I don't want to spoil who she plays, because it's kind of a, it's kind of fun to discover on your own, but she's wonderful. It, like, got her in trouble with Bill Cosby, because it is a very sexual part, and he was not... <laughs> I mean... You know, he we can unpack Bill Cosby for a whole well, other podcast. Yeah, more 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 pieces of shit to talk about. Yeah, but he like like did not want her on the show anymore because he was so offended. Um, great movie. You should all definitely watch Angel Heart. Great great film if you have the stomach for it. And then one movie that I actually never saw until last year. I never even heard of it until last year. Is Maurice, which is a, oh, I was wondering if you'd seen it. I haven't seen it. Oh, I so Maurice is a Merchant Ivory film, which is like a this like incredible run of um, co- British costume dramas from like the late eighties, oh mid eighties through like the mid nineties. And I am a Merchant Ivory gay. <laughs> like when we get to the years that it was nominated for best picture, his movies were nominated for best picture. Uh, you're going to just be like, Matt, shut the fuck up. But um, Maurice was not nominated, and it's kind of crazy it got made. It is a film about a gay man in the early 1900s in London and his relationship with his roommate played by Hugh Grant and um, what happens when one of them decides to just live as a straight man and get and marry as a woman and the other one decides to live as like a confirmed bachelor um, and it follows their lives for numerous years. It was famously ignored by most people in the 80s. Um, it's very explicit with its gay sex scenes, which is, I think if I had to guess why it was so ignored, because people were just very uncomfortable mm-hmm. with that at the time. But um, it was re-released um, last year, or maybe two years ago now. But it did like a theatrical re-release with like a, a, a new... Um, what's that? I can play another word. Like a, a restored version of or... it. Yeah, a restored yeah. version of it. It's lovely. It is so good. Very powerful. Very similar to Calling By Your Name, which James Ivory, he wrote both films. Um they make great parallel watches and you know i mean just discover it people it is a movie that i genuinely had never heard of until i was doing its restoration and i was like how have i not heard of this because i love james ivory but yeah no great film honestly maybe my second favorite from that year after um 
after broadcast news. So, you know, wow. definitely, definitely watch people. It's lovely. Yeah, I've always wanted to see it, but I just never, like, it's never been free. And, and you know, it's, unless I have a reason, it's hard to justify, like, buying, you know, yeah. even renting something. It's just, because, like, literally, there's in, infinite things out there. And Netflix literally told me I had to watch, start watching my queue the other day. So, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, there just hasn't been time for Maurice, even though it's, like, sexy, young Hugh Grant. How can I resist? He's really, really good in it. Like, I, I forget how much we take Hugh Grant for granted. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. No, and just really, really lovely. You should all watch it. Watch more gay films. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that your last one? Should I? That is my last with... one. Okay, I'm going to start with my list then. Um, Princess Bride. Totally agree with you on it. Um, like, it, it's probably that thing of like, it's funny. Like all of these that we're saying are sort of like, in now you would be like, we would make fun of us in a way because uh, they they they're like never rans, but all of these are nominated for the most part. Princess Bride was nominated. So, like, they're in the conversation. It's totally possible that these could have been nominated for picture. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not a Paddington situation. Um, <laughs> speaking <laughs> of you, Grant. Um, <laughs> but, like, I truly – I mean it when I say I think Dirty Dancing should have been nominated. I, I saw that right after college, and it was, like, on TV one day, and I was like, I should watch this. I hear it's good. And then I watched it, like, I immediately bought the DVD and watched it, like, 400 times after that. I – I love that fucking thing. And like truly the soundtrack is is like there should be it should have won an Oscar for the soundtrack, like full stop. It's so good. Um another one is Throw Mama from the Train, which again is in the conversation. Anne Ramsey was nominated, but like Danny DeVito is great in it. C- Billy Crystal is great in it. And it's basically like a comedy remake of Strangers on a Train. Like and it it that sounds insane, but it works. It's a very enjoyable film and has one of my favorite like foreshadowing things of all time of like have, you haven't seen it right i have not but this thing where chris billy crystal's character is a writer and he's trying to find the right word for like a hot sort of sweaty sort of like you know filled with potential sort of night and then all of a sudden in the very last scene it he suddenly gets the word but it's for a very funny reason and then it sparks this like action sequence which is hilarious like it's so good you'll if you ever watch it you'll see what i'm talking about i Um, need to it's it's very very good i loved it um another one is this one is kind of like an indulgence pick and the next one is definitely an indulgence pick but (laughs) (laughs) the stepfather which is a great horror movie with a phenomenal performance from um terry o'quinn who everybody knows from like lost and stuff um but who i first met on alias um he plays a a guy who is like it's the movie is made to look like a TV movie about like a family who it, or just like a lifetime movie basically. Um, and he is the stepfather of this girl and it slowly is revealed that he's also like a sociopathic murderer. And this is like his fourth family. Like he just keeps going through families and killing them. And it's, there's this great line where he like is like in the middle of a murder and, or like, there's blood on his face and he answers the phone and someone's like, Hey, Hey blank, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Oh, um, he says the wrong name of someone. And then he goes, wait, who am I here? It's so fucking insane. It's like this great performance. It probably should have been nominated. It's excellent. Like, especially looking at that best actor fucking like <laughs> category. It's, it's, he should have been nominated. That um, has sold me in watching it because have you never seen it? I've never seen it. I, 
I remember really wanting to see the remake when I was in high school that they it's did. It's not with, good. Um, don't watch that. Oh, I'm sure it's not good. But, you know, shirtless Penn Baggedly is maybe good. But um, I did not watch that one either. But oh, oh I yeah. need to watch it. That's a, It sounds excellent. It's so fun. It's like it's really scary and weird, too. Like, it's just very good. Um, and the last one, speaking of foreshadowing, the person, the thing I'm going to talk about, it's a sexy thriller. And it stars Deborah fucking Winger. What? It's called It's called Black Widow. It is I've I've mentioned it a bunch of times. I, I've been laying the seeds like a Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is the best fucking movie. I have seen it dozens of times. Deborah plays a an FBI agent. Oh, Terry O'Quinn is also in this as as her boss, who's kind of in love with her, but she's like, no, I'm an I'm an office woman. I don't have time for sex. Um, until she starts to notice that there is this woman who keeps showing up because all these guys, very rich men keep dying of something called Ondine's curse. And she's like, that's really a rare condition. How are so many rich men dying of it? And then she notices their wives kind of look like the same person. And the wives, (laughs) I'm not kidding. And the wives always disappear afterwards. And the wife is played or the, the wives are played by one Teresa Russell. Teresa Russell is someone who was um, married to, God, what's his name? Um, God, he just, like, such a famous uh, director. I'm going to look it up in a second. Um, <laughs> but she is, she's in Wild Things, one of my favorite bad girl movies of all time. And this people is on the bad girl list. It is one of the best. I force people to watch this all the time. And they're like, I can't believe this movie exists. It's great. Um she is she plays the black widow the titular black widow um and she like is in a bunch of costumes and she like kills (laughs) kills like three husbands in the movie and then finally goes to hawaii like and deborah winger almost catches up with her on husband three but she just misses her because she's like no one will believe me so they go to hawaii and then Deborah Winger leaves her FBI life behind, cuts her hair, and pretend like enrolls in a snorkeling class to get close to De- like Teresa Russell. And then they have this insane lesbianic type, type sort of like chemistry. A friend of mine who is a lesbian actually calls this movie lesbian utopia because it truly is. It's like two beautiful hot women in the eighties in Hawaii teaching each other how to like. <laughs> How to resuscitate each other if they go down in in a in a snorkeling accident? It's wild, and at one point they have to like share the same regulator. It's filled with insanity. It's like the best fucking movie ever. It is so wonderful, and like the whole time Teresa Russell doesn't realize that like Deborah Winger's you know after her, and Teresa was cast because Deborah was like, I will do this film, but you have to cast this woman and Teresa was not that famous at the time she was just like a stage actress in in um in like England basically for the most part but like yeah Deborah Sarr was like no I'll do this only if you get this woman um and that's it like this is the way it is um and it's so sexy and so insane and it just goes up and up and up and, and like ratchets up and like it's so good it's beautiful too there's like it's uh, oh by the way Teresa Russell was married to Nicholas Rogue who is an insanely famous director <laughs> like <laughs> who the bros love so it's like bros support yeah. your bros girl get your shit in here but like yeah it's the best i love this movie so much it is fully in the bad girl canon 
Um, it's kind of hard to find, but they did put it on Blu-ray a couple years ago, and I absolutely bought it. Um, anybody can also like borrow it from me on DVD. I have it both ways. But every time somebody mention, mentions like a Black Widow movie, all I can think of is this, and I'm like, it already exists. Sorry about it. Uh, it's on Prime for three ninety nine, so I might have to just go. watch it one day. You it sounds it. amazing. <laughs> it has it, the 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 one the final husband, <laughs> the final husband that they both that that uh, oh the best part is that like the final husband that Teresa's starting to like work on when in Hawaii also starts to fall in love with Deborah Winger's character and good. it becomes like a love triangle slash like it's so good it's phenomenal it does steal something from body heat a little bit which i'm i'm totally fine with but a, a friend of mine was not so fine with. but like it's it's and it has sammy fry do you know who sammy fry is uh, i'm looking at the imdb page now let me see um he's a star of the french new wave he plays the final husband it's like such an insane thing like there are good people involved in this and it's well directed it's beautiful looking like it's exotic and it and it's sexy like i'm not kidding i don't understand why like this is so much better than fatal attraction and it should have been nominated instead lois smith is in it from ladybird and also fatal attraction (laughs) yep that's true i mean she plays like um his secretary yeah she's she's like (laughs) the secretary like of one of the husbands who dies that deborah winger goes to and is like have you talked to Teresa russell in a while it's like well, not in a long time. She, and then basically Deborah's like, you got like a postcard in, in like the first three months and then it just sort of slowly dissipated. And she's like, hmm, I guess you're right. <laughs> like, it's so <laughs> fantastic. I have talked about this before online, but like Netflix has done a really great job of making romantic comedies relevant again. I want them next to move on to erotic thrillers. Like, oh, I'm ready and waiting. I, we, it's been so long since a good erotic thriller. Like Ryan Murphy briefly brought that to TV, and I mean, like, Ryan Murphy shows tend to get bad, but, like, there was a good five years where Nip Tuck was, like, the most fun. And now I'm just like, like, where where are these erotic thrillers? Where are they? Like, American Horror Story is just bad now, so it's like we can't even have that anymore. Like, I want more erotic thrillers. Yeah. I think we're we're starting that wave again with A Simple Favor. Like, that's... That is definitely the beginning of it. I do, like, I have problems with that movie's ending because, as I've said many times, I think, like, I like, I do like it when the bad girl wins. And, like, you know, Black Widow, I don't want to spoil, but, like, it's a qualified sort of thing. Like, the the ending is not possibly ideal, but, but my God, do I love it. Um, <laughs> by the way, the, you know who the, the, the husband that dies that uh, Lois Smith is the secretary for? Dennis Hopper. Like, he's in it for, like, three minutes. Or not even. He just like quickly is killed like in the first 10 minutes. It's amazing. She's because he's like a, a Texas toy magnate. It's insane. It's insane. Everybody see Black Widow. Uh, No, yeah. I really, really miss these type of movies. I do not think we have enough of them anymore. A Simple Favor is very close, but that movie is so self-conscious about just being an erotic thriller, which is where I think the ending falls apart. But, you know, this is not our simple favorite podcast as, ba- as badly as I want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> Just g- give me more erotic, th- erotic thrillers, people. I want them. Yep. We, d- we deserve them. Um, so, yeah, any last thoughts, Marissa? Uh, no. 1987 is a wild year. Watch Black Widow. <laughs> Honest people, what, like, 1987 is a wild year, but 
only watch broadcast news from the Best Picture nominees and then spend your time watching a ton of other movies from yeah. 1987. <laughs> yeah, In- including the, the ones we named at the end there, like RoboCop is great. Yeah, honestly. I mean, you've all seen RoboCop, I'm sure. But watch it again and be like, wow, the, the political commentary going on here <laughs> between the blood and guts. Um, oh, wait till we get to 1990 and I get to talk about Total Recall and how great San- um, Sandra, oh my god, not Sandra, um, Sharon Sharon Stone is in that movie. She's so good in that. Um, so where can people find you on social media, Marissa? Uh, Marissa Carpico everywhere, basically. Any place that you, you put those, you put that name in, 1R1S, you're going to find me. I wish I had a name that, like, wasn't used by over 50 people, like, on any <laughs> given social media platform site. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm the only me. I mean, like, and if not, I've, bas- I've, I've probably blasted all the other ones out of Google, you know what I mean, from having so many articles and shit. There is a soccer player named Matt Taylor, so I will never be... The the most important Matt Taylor, no matter how how hard I try, but you can find me at on Twitter at Matt Not Matthew One, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Matt T. All right, everybody. Oh yeah, tune in next time for 1950. Oh yeah, 1950. It's gonna be a fun year, people. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna hate me by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.